think strategic. So if you're trying to get into business, yeah, okay, there's a business opportunity. But act tactically, I think a lot of people that I talk to, um, they're like, they have a really good idea and they, oh, I you know, want to do this and that. I say, okay, what are you going to do about it? I think that seriously, I mean, everyone says, you know, 1% inspiration, 99 perspiration. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. It's like, you've got that idea, but what have you done? Have you talked to people? Have you talked to people in the space? Have you sort of started making connections? People are actually really nice. People are good, you know. You reach out to 10 people on LinkedIn, you know, you're going to get three or four people ping you back and say, hey, I, I know you work for whoever, right? And I'm thinking about this idea. So, you know, yeah, think strategic, but don't, you know, act tactically. I mean, 90% of what you do, do something to further the idea. everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I am your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's also the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, um, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today I've got another exciting guest on here uh, that has a fun journey. His name is Ankesh, and I've, I've tried doing my best to pronounce your name, make sure I do it right. Uh, but Ankesh, he has uh, done a few different startups, had some, taken a, a couple different companies from zero to eight or eight figures, I think it was. And uh, he's raised money with venture funding and sold patents to Google. He's born in India, grew up in London. So he has all sorts of uh, a great journey to share. So welcome onto the podcast. Thank you, Darren. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So I gave an intro to yourself, but I think you always give a better intro to yourself. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey uh, that leads up to where you're at today. Sure. Yeah, I was actually uh, born in uh, New Delhi in India. My my father actually worked for Air India. So when I was three, he actually got uh, posted to London. So I'm talking late 60s here. So uh, at the age of three, I uh, moved to London um, and um, we lived close to Heathrow Airport and I did all my early education in around uh, London. I did my, under, actually, my, funnily enough, my first uh, undergraduate degree was in Hotel and catering management, uh, which is nothing related with <laughs> anything I ended up doing, but it was a lot of fun and uh, a lot of good experiences. Uh, then I did an MBA, and then I did a postgraduate um, in um, uh, I did a sorry an MBA in um, um, well, it's in management studies that was in Brighton University, um, and so I worked in London you know for a few years. And like '89, I said, you know what, I need to get out of it. I need to change the scenery. So I just landed in San Jose. I did have a cousin here, so I was staying with her. I just, because I, basically I was gainfully unemployed. There was a, in the US and in England, there was a little bit of a recession going on. Um, and I just sort of, uh, I just, I, I didn't want to go home. So I just sort of like picked up the phone. That was my first, I guess my uh, first adventure uh, of my first venture was just picking up the phone in those days without cell phones, with roller quarters, just dialing for, dialing for a job. I got a job in San Jose, uh, $800 a month, recoverable draw. What that meant is if I, made money they deducted all the money they prepaid me um but you know i was 27 i was young i was enjoying it going to the two dollar buffets at the red lion um and um ended up starting um my uh, own staffing company um and it you know it, it, that was the time there was a lot of uh, um, people coming in on b1 visas and for the technical so my company um at systems um uh we started off and i i basically didn't touch any investment i what i did was I would actually have vendors to supply me uh, the resources. I would actually have the contracts with the customers. 
and then I would uh, be paid in 30 days. In those days, my customers were like Electronic Arts, um, Sun Microsystems, Wells Fargo, Fargo. So they were really pretty good customers. Uh, they paid um, on time, and I paid so my vendor. Maybe dive into that just a little bit, because I think that's sure. interesting, because, you know, a lot of times, and I, I certainly think, you know, there are different ways to fund or to get a startup going, and sometimes you can bootstrap it, right? So you're saying, hey, I can self-fund it, or I can bootstrap it, or, or it's not a capital investment. Other times you're saying, hey, this is to really do anything. We're going to have to have, you know, $20 million or whatever. Most people can't bootstrap that. So you have to go and get an investment. And so how did you, you know, doing the different companies, how did you decide, make the difference or decision between, yeah, let's get outside investors, put fuel on the fire versus let's do this ourselves versus let's self-fund or how did you kind of make that determination? So for that venture, there was really, I was already um, working for that staffing company. So I understood the market. Um, I mean, I couldn't go back to the same custom, customers that my previous employer was working for. So the tough bit was actually starting for the new ones. But I had a lot of confidence um, in myself because I actually, for that company, you know, they were, they were a small mom and pop shop. They were doing about $2 million in revenue. And I'd sort of double the revenue to $4 million And, you know, they promised me. And I was honestly, I was a very happy working for them. And I wasn't sort of like thinking about going to to do a startup. Um, so I, I bought in 2 million of revenue for them. And, you know, I was getting 10% of the margin because um, mm-hmm. I was getting a base salary. And clearly you crunch the numbers. If you, you know, if you're getting 100% of the margin, you need to do one tenth of work. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a difficult decision. I got married by then. So my wife was actually working. She wasn't earning a lot of money. She was, uh, um, she was uh, doing a residency. So she was getting around those days about 30,000 a year. But, you know, we had low cost of living. And, you know, it, again, you don't really think about that stuff. So we had enough to put food on the table and pay the rent. But that was about it. Um, you know, so it took me about three to six months to start generating some some business. Um, and I had built up the relationships with the sub vendors uh, previously. So, you know, I, and it's just, uh, you know, so the model just worked and we worked from day one. So that was really cool. So if you were to do it, so because it sounded like, and, and certainly if I put words in your mouth, correct me, mm-hmm. you're saying, hey, I could either continue. It wasn't necessarily intended to do a startup. But you got to the point saying, hey, I'm, I'm making good money, but I only make a 10% of the margins. I can do this on my own. Why wouldn't I go and get 100% of the margins as opposed to 10%? Is that kind mm-hmm. of the tripping point or how did you make that yeah well actually the the tripping point because i was never and this sounds corny or stupid but whatever i wasn't never motivated by money i i really you know this is going a little philosophical i really believe in quality of life and having good relationships with people and enjoying the people you're with that's a lot more important than, than a singular focus on on money so you know it is important clearly but you know it wasn't my my driver the, the decision making the tripping point was actually the frustration of my existing employer and the actual event i'll tell you exactly what happened we were just before christmas it was like october november time frame there was 10 people in the conference room and they're all talking about who to send christmas cards to so sales people marketing people administration and i was like what the hell am i doing here we're sitting and wasting time i could be on the phone making business and should be existing customers past customers and you know the type of i'm like no i walked out and i said okay there have been previous incidences like that but it was just my frustration of not being able to do things the way I thought it could be done. Mm. Um, you know, just being held back. So that's, that's really what it was. Clearly the, the numbers works, right. But uh, that was the, I just felt having control over my own destiny was, was the, was the, um, was the driver. Okay. No, I think that makes sense. You're safe. I mean, I, I agree. Numbers always, you know, numbers have to work and some, you know, you don't want to just go jump out on your own if it doesn't make sense. But then beyond that, you're saying, Hey, and I think that's where a lot of people get, you know, it's either, Hey, I think I can do this better or I just even, not even necessarily better. I just want to do it my own way. Or I think I can do it a different way. That's more enjoyable. I can have control lifestyle, whatever that is. But I think that's a good point mm-hmm. that, you know, 
that's that can be a good motivator. It doesn't always have to be just the financial or to make the money, but maybe it's just uh-huh. like to do your own way or be in control or whatever. So, so you did well, that. So you yeah, jumped think, out and you did that. Sorry, go just ahead. To put, just to put emphasis on, I think if you talk to any entrepreneur, any startup person, anyone running their own business, they're not being an entrepreneur, they'll tell you that's the number one thing they, they enjoy about having a business, having the freedom, the flexibility, probably work as hard, if not harder, you know, evenings, weekends, but that's the number one driver. But anyway, going back to the story then, um, uh, I'd met a guy working for that company and um, he had this idea of a software product. It was all about recruiting. So the ability of resumes coming in and he wanted me to, to, to you know, work with him on that project. So, um, so you know, I started with working on that. That was called Personic. My staffing company was AT Systems, so that started a year later. So we did a million in the first year on the, on the staffing company, and then we started on, the, uh, on the, the software company. And just to kind of like, you know, cut quickly, and you can ask me questions, we did like one, five, 15, 20 million on the staffing company. And then a year later, we, we did a million in uh, Personic, which is a staffing, uh, sorry, the software company, and then eight, 1624 we did raise money for the uh for the software company we had battery ventures tcv uh aig and a few others um, over a period of time over and in total in aggregate we raised about 50 million uh for the second venture um and at one point the investors were like you can't be ceo of two companies so i had to sell the staffing company which actually worked out to be a really good thing so we sold it to tmp the parent company of monster um and you know we were able to put a little money in you know, in, in the back pocket and, and then focus on the, on the, on the software company. So diving into that just a little, because I, you know, I'm on the opposite. I end up, I like, I have multiple interests and I end up, you know, I, I end up being running or other always be involved with a couple different companies. As I mentioned, I do Miller IP law where we help, you know, patents and trademarks or start, start a small business, but I also have been engaged in a couple of my own startups. So do you think that you should, and you can completely contradict what I do, and that's certainly fine. Do you think you need to have that singular focus and you only look at one thing and you only focus on one thing? Or sometimes if you have two great ideas or two great companies, can you be involved with both? Or kind of what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I'm actually working on two two ventures right now. Um, and I kind of let, you know, like my, my development team, you'd think that developers would push back and say, oh, no, man, I can't, you know. So we literally, you know, we, I'm sorry, we're talking about slide at one minute. Next time we're talking about shareativity. And I go, I had a question on slides. So we're going back and forth. I, I, I find it, you know, enthralling. I find it exciting. It just really gets my blood pumped. Um, I, I don't know if more than two, because um, we were actually thinking about doing something else, but we put that on the back burner. No, I think, I think it's good. I mean, I, I always tell people, it's like my plan A, plan B. Um, look, I've, I've had I've my share of failures, but you have to fail quickly. You have to, you know, really realize: is this you're just thinking this yourself, or you know, you're getting validation from customers? So the ability to have a lot of ideas. Um, I mean, take um, investors, VCs, right? They've got seven. I mean, they're not in the in the in the weeds, right? They're not actually doing, but they're actually keeping multitasking. You know, they know what's going on, and if they're good investors. They know about hiring. They know about um, you know revenue they're looking at numbers and stuff so they can do six or seven ventures um simultaneously you know there's no reason you can't do two okay no and i just thought that was an interesting point because you hear you know wisdom or whatever you want to call it and in both sides and some people say hey you have to be laser focused get one thing going and other people saying hey but i got multiple interests and i got some good ideas why can't i pursue these and so and i think that where it is is you have to gauge what your ability is or what your if you can multitask if you can be able to jump between projects then you may be that cut out. And if you're saying, hey, I can only really, if I'm going to do something, I have to be all in. So I think there's both sides. So jumping back now to your to your mm-hmm. journey. So you did the both staffing companies. You grew the second one, got it to, up to big. And I think that was on job or tracking of job application process, right? 
Right, right. Um, so we were actually filed the S1 to go public with that company and 2000 the market crash. So, you know, everything dried up, funding and everything else. So we were, we were doing, uh, as I was saying, around 24 million a year, about 2 million a month. Um, uh, but we were burning a million a month. Um, at that time, um, our bankers, Roberts and Stevenson, were like, hey, prior to the crash, it doesn't matter about you burning money, you know, they just want to see top line growth. But clearly after the crash, we missed the window. Um, and, um, you know, we ended up um, uh, selling the company. So I, I sort of, uh, I, you know, it, it went through a six-month period finding a buyer and stuff. And I, that wasn't my thing. I mean, I'm a startup guy, so I left uh, around that time. And uh, I just had a, you know, a, a two-year-old daughter, and I was like, okay, let's spend some time with the family and stuff. So post that, I was um, doing some investments, uh, you know, personal investments, investing in venture funds, and for a few years. And, and then I started doing um, a couple of, other ventures I did um, I did I did one in um, actually it was an interesting one it was employee time off um, for anyone who's in the financial world uh, they'll know that you know when you give employees vacation um, that sets as a liability on the balance sheet uh, mm. known as vacation accrual liability and if people are taking time off and not reporting it um, you know <laughs> you build up your vacation accrual liability uh, and actually I was sitting I got a meeting with leapfrog um, you know the, the kids entertainment uh, mm -hmm. educational company and uh, sitting in the meeting with the, the CFO and the controller, and you know, I'd, I'd set up the meeting and, and, and I said, out of curiosity, what's your vacation accrual liability? He turned to his controller and she you know, some, uh, moved some papers around and said, oh, 2.3 million. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the easiest sell that I of, uh, um Problem with that venture was that it took the sales cycle as long as IT got involved, uh, yeah. finance got involved, uh, um, HR got involved and you know it all kept moving who you're talking to the sales cycles are so long um, but we, we really had we had some good customers Siebel uh, who got bought by Oracle were using it uh, business objects um, worldwide were using it so we had it in different countries so it was a pretty good um, pretty good venture we didn't raise any money we made made a little money because we were sort of you know cash flow positive but uh, we ended up just sort of just just winding it down a little bit um, and um, and then I did a um, Another one, which is a little plug for IP, uh, I actually um, had an idea about, uh, and this is prior to, you know, everyone's familiar with the Facebook like button, right? I mean, they, they launched that around 10 years ago. About 11 years ago, we realized that sharing of content is a page ranking mechanism. I mean, everyone realizes that, you know, Google you know, it likes employing page ranking, looking at different signals, as they call them, but mm. they hadn't incorporated uh, sharing. So whether it's emailing, uh, posting on a social media platform and um, I thought to myself wow wow this is a really big idea and I don't know if I've got the bandwidth to you know build a team and take it to market so the first thing I did was actually file a patent uh, so you know and uh, long story short Google ended up buying the patent um, you know so I just a little plug for you know IP think about IP you know founders is because I did it more from a defensive standpoint and, and Devin could probably you know speak to this more than I can. It wasn't, I was never going to be offensive and go to someone and say, hey, we're going to see you and that. But if someone started doing it, then I thought to myself, hey, by the way, you know, we, we you may want to something. And so at least I think that's interesting. So because you get, you started out, and, and again, if I put words in your mouth, certainly correct me, but you, you started out and saying, I don't know if I have the bandwidth, don't know if I have the ability to take this to market. So how did you then make that approach to Google or how did you get connected with them to sell out the intellectual property and the patents and that and get make that connection? 
Well, you know, I sort of like uh, cut corners a bit. So I did want to grow it out. I didn't want to build it. So the first thing I did, I actually did a provisional. Um, I, I think I think it's called a non-provisional, right? I, I forget the terminology. Provisional but, is a one that you get a year to decide whether or not to pursue a non-provisional to full one. Yeah. So yeah, we did a not we did a provisional, and and then I try to raise money and I try to but you try to build a business model around that, right? I mean, mm. so you've got this IP, but then you're thinking, okay, what is the business model? Um, and um, I don't, that's what we couldn't figure out. So I was talking to my partner, Tony, at the time, and then a funny story, uh, he ended up working for Google. So what happened when Google purchased the pants, he said, hey, can I take the box? Because we're, we're pretty close in Mountain View, I live in Palo Alto. So he actually physically took all of the documents and, and built up a rapport, and, and you know, because he was an independent guy, and so it was good for him. Um, so he said to me, by the way, because you know your IP is worth something? And I'm like, really? I didn't, you know, I, didn't, I said, what, 10,000, 20,000, whatever. Um, so he put me in touch with a, a patent broker um, and, and they, they actually ran the numbers. They actually got some, some, uh, some software that sort of like looks at the value of it. And um, they, you know, they give me a different deal, 10% if they give, give you pay them up front or 20% if, if they do nothing. I said, you know what, give you 20%, I won't pay any money. And so they approached Facebook, um, I forget who else, but, um, but maybe Microsoft, but Facebook and Google were the two guys, the main guys. Because the like button had come out by then. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So basically, to a large extent, you, you did that, your patent attorney connected, or connected you up with a broker, broker found the deal, and for not having to do a, a whole, not having to build the whole company, you were able to sell off to Google and, and yeah. get a, a good return on that. So I mean, right. you know, we we lost money on the venture, but I mean, you know, I don't know. At least I can say I sold patents to Google, right? I mean, you know, it gives you some <laughs> level of credibility right. in the market. Um, and and then you know, so so since then, I've, I, as I said, I've just been doing some um, investments, and now I've actually in the last year because my my elder daughter actually just graduated from NYU, so she's been gone four years. My younger one just started; uh, she's a freshman or just uh, just rising freshman now at UC Davis. So in the last, because you know. I just, as I said, to me, you know, family is really important. I want to spend time. And so I was doing some ventures like the ones I was describing. Um, but in the recent uh, couple of years, I've been working on two new ventures. Um, one is Shareativity, which is a, a B2B. Um, it's basically helping salespeople with uh, personalization of outreach. And we all get these emails. Hey, checking in. Are you interested in talking? Can we set up a meeting? We're saying, you know what, you've got to make that a little bit more personal. Talk about some interest they've got. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan. If someone says, hey, uh, Liverpool going to win the championship this year. And so, I mean, I'd open the email and I'd, I'd say, you know what, I want to talk to this guy. He took the effort to do it. Um, and so that, that's more a social thing. But if there's a business thing, if there's a, um, just since we're talking about patents, if they've actually you know, wrote a, a LinkedIn article about IP and the value of it, the ability to sort of you know, give some insight. Um, the real challenge with that, which we're actually I'm really enjoying this challenge, is actually the ability to do personalization at scale. Now, what that means is if I've got 10,000 people in my prospect list, hit a button and send them 10,000 different messages yeah. um, and, 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 you know, and, and personalize that. So I hope I'm not boring you because I'm getting a little geeked out on this. But the, the thing is you look for a topic of interest. So for, for someone, it could be their college. For someone else, it could be some, you know, some, some passion they've written an article about. It could be an interest like someone they're following. So identify those and then find some insight uh, that you can add to it. And so that's kind of like what we're, we're working on with, um, with, with Shareativity. So, and maybe just to back up so people get an idea. So you did, and I'll walk back through the process. So you did the, mm -hmm. you did the couple startup or the couple businesses. It was more on the job tracking. 
2000, you know, came along. And then I think you, one of them you talked about was job track, you know, another job tracking one that was at mail. You did another company that was social mail that was more aggregating promotional emails into a single email. Then 2000 turned, you know, 2010 comes along, you know, you decided to go and do some more, uh, some of your own thing. And then now you've jumped over to two new startups and that's kind of where we talked on about, you know, you don't have to just do one startup. You have a right, couple right. interests that you can pursue. So you have Sharetivity, which is one that you just kind of touched on. And if I understand it, and again, I always, I don't want to slaughter it. So you can say it much better than I can, but this one's kind of allows you to find out, you know, personalized approaches or information about people as you're trying to reach out to them. It's a, I think a Google Chrome or a Chrome add on that then right. you can say, Hey, I want to get to know more about this person. I'm going to reach out to them. I want to make it a personal connection and it helps you to aggregate or find that information. And then you also have, I think slide buzz or slide dot buzz. Right. Yeah. And, and that one, that one, uh, maybe give a little bit more on that one. You haven't touched on that one yet as far as kind of what that project is. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm actually, you know, obviously wouldn't be doing it if I wasn't passionate about it. So, but, so basically, we're all familiar with Facebook and Instagram. You know, that's online social networking, you right? Know? So that's how you're connecting with people. And, you know, and this is a really bad time with social distancing to do this, but we, we, we sort of like incubating it in January timeframe, January, February. was the, the And it's going to come back. But the thing is, we all know, and actually it's probably emphasized this more because with social distancing, we all miss the pat on the back when you're in a bar with someone having a beer and a wine and sort of, you know, giving a little punch to the shoulder and, and giving a hug to someone. So Slide is about social experiences. It's about impersonal social experiences, whether it's a happy hour on a Friday, it's, you know, going with the girls, you know, to a spa, spa day, going to Vegas, going on a trip to Europe. It's about managing the whole process from, from, end, from beginning to end. Um, and, and so, you know, we just wanted an ability, an application. No, we all do this. We do this through messaging. We use Venmo to split the costs. Uh, you know, we, we store links about where to go, what to visit, wherever people, people do it in different ways, spreadsheets or whatever else. But that's what Slide does. So Slide, well, what we're, you know, there's actually currently, and it's, a, it's a mobile app, uh, is basically wishlist. So you say, what do you want to do? You know, where you want to go? So, you know, it could be, it could be wine tasting for argument's sake. And then you just, you know, choose a couple of friends and, and send a link. Then they all add the, you know, discussion within the app. Um, and, in, and there's, you know, there's way to split costs. There's the actual experience themselves where you can actually, you so, know. Um, if I, so maybe if I were to summarize it and again, so yeah. you'd be like, hey, I want to go hang gliding. I'm just making up one. Or I want to go skydiving. Sure. You know, I want to go do mountain, back, mountain biking. And so you say, hey. And here's my wish list of things I want to do. Anybody else want to go do it with me? And then we can also, one, you can find people to go do it with. And two, you can also be able to split the cost or defer some of the cost. So right. it kind of allows you to connect with people as well as to do more of the things on your wish list and reduce the cost. Is that a fair one? Exactly. And yeah, and it stores the banter, the, the communications, whether it's, you know, trip details, all there. So it's all in one place as opposed to in different emails and text messages. And also all the pictures and the images and everything else. Um, and the thing we're actually working on right now is because right now, you know, you know, we had we had a really good go-to-market plan. I won't get into that unless, unless you're really you're curious. We we thought we, this was going to, you know, the feedback I got. I reached out to just quickly tell you a thousand people in the event space because they do a lot of these, you know, uh, party planning, event planning. Mm. We had a 25 to 25, 26, actually 26 percent connection rate. People actually wanted it, so it's like 260 people ready to, to use the app. Uh, mm. With the um, coronavirus, you know, that clearly sort of fell off a cliff. Um, so what we got thinking was like, even though we're, we're not traveling, we're not doing these social experiences, mm. I think we as human beings, 
you know, the anticipation of an event, you know, the excitement of thinking about it. Yeah. We, we're working on what we call inspirations. So we're actually now um, crawling every event around the globe. So, you know, there's about 4,800 uh, towns and cities around the world, over 100,000 people. So we're getting all the events. So whether it's in Bolivia or it's in you know, Madagascar, you can actually go to slide.buzz and actually find events. And, and then clearly, if you want to go somewhere, then hit the wish list button and roll into the app. So it's basically so, you know, front end. So if I dive into that, so, and then we'll, we're getting towards the end of the podcast, but I do have one other question before my mm -hmm. last two questions I always ask. So you, you, you know, you went through and you've done a, a several different things throughout your career, everything from mm -hmm. job searching and, you know, or, you know, helping people job tracking and doing that type of thing to aggregating, you know, emails to do promotional things, sold off some things to Google. And now you're at, you know, Sharetivity as well as um, Slide. And so how do you, you know, those are all, I can see somewhat of a common thread, but they're also fairly disparate, right? In the sense that, you know, doing Sharetivity versus, I, I can see that, you know, somewhat making connections, personalization. Slide, you know, is a bit different in the sense it's not really job tracking and job. So how did you decide which ideas to pursue or which business to pursue or where you wanted to go? You know, it's, it's about passion. You know, it's, if you get excited about something, right? I mean, you know, it's just, if you really want to, you know, if you like the idea and you feel, you know, I mean, I, I everything's just, it's on the, the bottom, the common denominator is just passion. It's just, it's hard to sort of uh, you know, decide. Uh, it's not based on my experiences, not experienced from, you know, what we've got. It's just like, and this is like not being done and this is really kind of exciting and you just get the juices flowing. So I can't really, um, you know, can't say, talk more than that. I mean, as you know, my background was hotel and catering management and I did an MBA and stuff, but I don't really have any domain experience like, you know, like, like yourself in law and I understand the domain and I can build an application around that because I can see a broken process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I've actually invested in the company. I'll give him a plug, Roostify. Um, the guy was actually a consultant and he was talking about a mortgage application process, which sucked and he knew it sucked. And, and so he just said, I'm going to re rebuild that. And so he had domain experience and, and it was a, you know, very simple, but for me, it's like just talking to people, just seeing what's out there and, um, you know, Okay. So one would be you follow your passions and then two find identify something that you think you can fix, improve or make better. Or otherwise it's yeah. not out in the marketplace. I, I will say, sorry, just a quick one thing. Like when I talk to people about this, even if you don't have the domain experience, sometimes it's better not to have it because you, you look at things differently that people are in the space already. So even like with this sales automation, you know, not many people are doing this personalization. It's kind of like one of the issues we're running into because people think, well, you know, is that really going to work? We've tried it. It hasn't worked before. So people are sort of naysayers. They're more like, you know, they follow the, they're more like sheep. So it's not a bad thing to not have the main experience. No, and I think sometimes it's a benefit. And sometimes and you get bad habits, right? Or you have even preconceived notions that, hey, it has to be this way because it's always been this way. Or there are only so many, so many ways to do this because this is how it's done. And I think sometimes, you know, you still have to go out and understand the market. And I don't think you just dive into something you have no experience understanding about but to go in and learn and figure out how this is different how you can bring a new perspective i think is absolutely um can be beneficial to different uh, industries and domains so mm -hmm. so as we now and there's always so many more things i want to talk about than we ever have time to but as we start to wrap up the podcast um i always have two questions at the end so i'll go ahead and ask those now so what are the first question is always so what was the worst business decision you ever made um, uh, I, my voice was, was hiring. There's one individual, in fact, we, you know, we were talking about going public and, uh, we hired a, a CFO and that was the worst decision. Um, you know, it, it, 
I won't get into the details for obvious reasons, but I think that uh, sometimes you're in, you're in a rush to hire. So I think if there's anything to be taken from that is mm. just be really careful. I mean, people gave me advice post that. I was a young CEO then. You know, I was also uh, hadn't had an experience hiring people older than me. Uh, you know, like sit in the person, sit with a person in a car, drive down to Carmel, and see how you know, time you can spend with them. Um, so I think that you know that hiring is, is probably you know the wrong person at the wrong time, especially the more senior they get, because then it's harder to sort of uh, um, you know have an exit from that. Um, you know, I remember that specific situation. The board were like, "Man, we can't make changes right now. We're going public, and so on and so forth." It was just put it in a very very difficult situation. Um, and it did have a knock-on effect, um, you know, on, on the company. So I think, um, you know, um, hiring was one. I never think of the bad decisions like startups. I never look back and say, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that or wasted money on that. But, you know, that, that's something that, you know, you don't try, you know, you don't, don't work out. I, I probably, in, and I've done several of these podcasts, and we have lots of episodes and whatnot, and I think that is probably one of the, the most consistent answers that people give as far as what they what they have learned as, you know, as the mistakes they made as hiring in a sense. And I think that's one where it's always a much different feel when you're in the shoes, making the decisions, trying to figure out who to hire, who will be a good person for this position. And you always, you know, people that are, don't haven't done that, you can always say, Oh, you should never hire that guy. This was the flag. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to quarterback. And it is one that I think a lot of times till you're in there, you've done it and you learn those mistakes. It's hard to sometimes know what you, what to look for know what the flags are, know what you shouldn't be doing. So I think that's, that's always a good mistake to learn from. Okay, my second question I always ask is, so somebody that's just getting into startups or wanting to get into startups, what's the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, I think my, my, what I think about every day um, is, uh, is, is think strategic. So if you're trying to get into business, yeah, okay, there's a business opportunity, but act tactically. I think a lot of people that I talk to, um, they're like, they have a really good idea and they, oh, I, I want to do this. And I say, okay, what are you going to do about it? I think that seriously, I mean, everyone says, you know, 1% inspiration, 99 perspiration. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. It's like, you've got that idea, but what have you done? Have you talked to people? Have you talked to people in space? Have you sort of started making connections? People are actually really nice. People are good. You know, you reach out to 10 people on LinkedIn, you know, you're going to get three or four people ping you back and say, hey, I, I know you work for whoever, right? And I'm thinking about this idea. So, you know, yeah, think strategic, but don't, you know, act tactically. I mean, ninety percent of what you do, do something to further the idea. So, if you're currently working somewhere and you know, and thinking about ideas, and you've got a, a good one, but you know, just just put time in, on your calendar and and work it. Don't get caught up with the vision. Don't get caught up and say, oh yeah, you know, I've got the idea. I'm going to retire now because uh, it, that's it. That's just the beginning. No, I, I think that's a great piece of advice for people to learn from. So, so as we wrap up. People want to get connected up with you, whether it's ask questions, they want to learn more about Sharetivity, they want to learn more about Slide, download your apps, use your Chrome extension, or otherwise just connect up. What's the best way to reach out and find out more? Um, I'm, I'm happy for them to just connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, it's, I think it's LinkedIn Ankish Kumar. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. They can also just email me directly. I mean, um, you know, it's Ankish, my first name, A-N-K-E-S-H, at Sharetivity. That's S-H-A-R-E-T-I-V-I-T-Y. So either email me or just connect with me on LinkedIn. It's always, and I'm happy to help people as well. So if you guys got any questions, advice, I'd be happy to sort of just spend a few minutes. So, um, you know, just let me know. All right. 
Well, I encourage everybody to first of all check out Sharetivity. I think it's I've actually used it since we talked, and I thought it was a cool okay. a cool Chrome extension. So I've used it to look up a few people as well as myself, but just <laughs> to see what, see if there's anything out of the ordinary for what it's saying. But I think that's you got some cool ideas, cool businesses you're working with. I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your journey on the podcast. So. Um, for those of you that are wanting to uh, be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventivejourney.com and apply to be a guest on the podcast. For those of you that are listeners, make sure to uh, click subscribe so you can hear uh, new episodes as they air. And also, uh, for those of you that are needing help with uh, patents and trademark, feel free to reach out to us. We're here to help the startups and small businesses. So um, thank you again for coming on. It's been fun to hear your journey, and I, uh, I look forward to seeing how the journey continues on for you and wish you all the best of success. Thank you. Appreciate it, Devin. Cheers.